Morning, y'all. Uh, we're so excited to have uh, Michael's wife, Jean Ann, with us today. She was awesome. Jean Ann is a uh, music director at another local church, so we don't get to see her very often. So it's always a, a treat whenever you're here. So thanks for being here with us. Uh, I want to introduce you real quick to our guest speaker. Um, Gary York uh, has been here a few times. You know him, you love him. He's the former pastor of Eastview Christian Church in Bloomington, where he grew that church uh, over several years and did an incredible job. But he's really uh, best known for being my first boss, really. Uh, I was like 19 years old when he took me in as his intern, and he has regretted it every day of his life since that time. He's been stuck with me. But uh, Gary is somebody who is just... Um, been uh, a mentor to me. He's been this uh, role model. He's an incredible man. Uh, he's somebody that I just have the most respect and love for. So please help me welcome Gary York. Well, I'm delighted to be here today and have the opportunity to uh, engage you and talk with you and share with you and I just want you to know, every time I show up here, I know that Darren has really high standards. And I'm really out of practice. So I don't want to mess this up today, because I know that if I do, then I'm probably not going to get invited back again. So I'm very conscious of that as we go into this. Now, something else. I'm, I, I've been thinking about this all morning, and so I'm still thinking about it, so I'm just going to say it, okay? I'm absolutely amazed when I come in here and realize that Every time you take that big box truck and you back it up at Hobby Lobby to get candles, they love you. It's incredible. So I, I shared that first hour, and Donna informed me, no, we go to Ikea. I rest my case. Point made. And I didn't say this first hour, but I'm, I'm going to say it this hour. I noticed that the chandeliers are gone. And I heard on the grapevine, you had to wrestle Darren to the ground to get rid of those. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I noticed that they're not here. Some things do change, right? Well, enough of that. In just a few minutes, we're going to engage this incredible story involving Jesus and a group of individuals who are so hypocritical, so corrupt, they're not even trustworthy. Now, if you happen to be a person that likes to follow along in your Bible when the guy up here is speaking and talking and all of that, You'll find this story in Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. This story is all about the things that people do to justify what they want or to justify what they do. Now, over the years, I've learned that not all the things people do are intended for fun. Not all the things people do are intended for fellowship. Not all the things people do are intended for good times. Some of them are to justify what you want. Some of them are to justify what you want to do. Some of them are politically motivated. Some of them are filled with schemes for personal advancement. And some of them are filled with efforts to embarrass the person you're with or the group of people that you're with. Some of them are filled with revenge. Some of them are filled with an effort to humiliate and discredit the people that you are with. Well, in all of those cases, that's exact. That's the exact scenario of the story that we want to engage today 
out of Matthew chapter 22. Now, the setup for this story is in verse 15. Listen to this. Then the Pharisees, now you may not know who that is. We're going to kind of define him here in a moment. Then the Pharisees met together to think of a way to trap Jesus into saying something that would accuse him. Now, in case you don't know it, throughout his ministry, and if you read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, the story about Jesus, all through his ministry, he encounters the Pharisees. And they have become his fiercest critics. They have become the voice of an enemy that's after him all the time. Why is that? Because he became so popular. His teachings became so critical. His teachings intimidated. His teachings convicted. His teachings exposed. That's what's happening to them. They were forever trying to trick him and force him under their control, trying to get him to do what they wanted, trying to get him to do where they wanted to go. Why is it like that? Because of his, all of his teaching began to tighten the screws on them. They wanted to manipulate him to get him to take his teaching and make it compatible with theirs. He wasn't going there. They were losing control on this group of people put under their leadership. They had a legalistic grip on them. And Jesus was trying to do everything to loosen that grip. So these hypocritical, corrupt individuals were trying to do everything they could to manipulate him, and he was exposing them, and they didn't like it. They were big time unhappy with him. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus isn't messing around. Why is he not messing around? Because Jesus understands that their perspective on God is so far off base. It is so incorrect. They have no idea who he is. They have no idea what he does. So Jesus comes to set the record straight. He comes to correct their perspective, and they don't like it. Now, in case you don't know, all the parables in particular, all the parables that Jesus shared, all the parables Jesus taught, all the miracles Jesus performed were aimed at correcting wrong perspectives. In fact, one time Jesus said to the Pharisees and others, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know him. If you listen to me, you know him. If you love me, you know him. If you understand me, you understand him. If you have the right perspective on me, you have the right perspective on him. But the fact of the matter is, they didn't get it. In some cases, they didn't want to get it. And so they became very resistant with him. Big time critic of who he was. So when all of those early things didn't work, these high-profiled leaders decided they would try something else. And what they began to do was to create these measures for entrapment. In verse 15... It says, and I'm paraphrasing, they got together in some smoke-filled room somewhere in the back of the temple, and deceitfully and intentionally, they fabricated this plan to incriminate Jesus. In fact, what they wanted him to do was incriminate himself. 
Now, how do we know that? Well, along with this story here in Matthew 22, listen to this from Luke. Different place in the Gospels. Luke 20, verse 20. Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent secret agents pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Now, when I read that, I find myself going, you know what, I'd like to drop the hammer on them. I mean, how can somebody be so deceptive? How could these spiritual leaders demonstrate such depravity? Now, before we tend to drop that hammer, let me ask this. Have you ever attempted to manipulate God into fixing your circumstances? I have. My guess is you have too. Maybe you didn't know what you were doing at the time, but the fact of the matter is, somewhere along the line, we have all done it. We have all looked at him and tried to get him to bail us out of a tight jam. Maybe we tried to bribe God. Maybe we got ourselves in a really bad situation, made some bad choices, created a real mess. And so we began to barter with God to fix it. What we wanted is for God to do a deal with us, to team up with us, to get in bed with us, so to speak, as if God was looking at it and going, okay, all right, hey, I'll play along. It looks like a good thing to me. Maybe it'll be fun. Now listen, Christian or not, Christ follower or not, somewhere along the line, if you're like me, you got really religious about some crisis in your life. You didn't like where it was going. So you attempt to barter with God. You attempt to manipulate God so that he would get you out of that situation. You wanted to manipulate him to move you away from the decision and bad context in which you got yourself. Now, if that's ever happened to you, I know it's happened to me. We're just like the guys in this story. We're trying to do the very thing the guys in this story were trying to do. But I have to remind us about something. If we try to do that, we're losing sight of something tremendously important. Namely, that we have forgotten who we're dealing with. You cannot make God out to be somebody he's not. To do something he won't do. The fact of the matter is, and hear this, God knows everything. God sees everything. He understands everything. And the fact of the matter is, he never looks at your life. He never looks at my, my life. He never thumbs through the pages of our life. He never thumbs through all the decisions we've made and actions that we have taken and choices that we have made and goes, oops, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. That's news to me. Somehow I missed that. No, he doesn't. Never. Just like the guys in this story, we have a tendency to deal with God like we're dealing with our brother or dealing with our dad, both of whom don't ever seem to have everything together. Well, the guys in this story forgot, or maybe they didn't even know, that they were dealing with a God 
who created everything. Created everything. Therefore, he knows everything. The fact of the matter is, we're not as smart as we think we are. We cannot manipulate God. We cannot deceive God. We cannot confuse God. We cannot trick God. We cannot rope him into our plans. We cannot tie him to what we think is best for us. Only God knows what's best for us. So having said all that, I want you in this story to check out the scheme these leaders contrived. You'll find it in verse 16 of Matthew 22. They decided to send some of their disciples. Stop right there. I want you to notice they didn't go themselves. I don't know why they didn't go themselves. Maybe because they were afraid. I don't know. But they didn't go themselves, so they got somebody to do it for them. Along with, next part of verse 16, along with the supporters of Herod. Herod's the king. The supporters of Herod, often called Herodians. And they sent them to ask this question, verse 17. Is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or not? Now listen, two people, or two groups in these two verses. Two groups who literally hate one another. They disagree with one one another all the time. In fact, they disagree violently about religion and about politics. And yet, here they become co-conspirators in this wicked story to get Jesus to expose himself in some way. All right, now here's what's really important. Really important. When it came to the subject of Jews paying taxes to the Roman government, these two groups maintained two opposing views, views that were in contradiction with each other. The Pharisees, they said, no way, we're not doing it. We're not paying these taxes. It is a violation of our theology. The Herodians, on the other hand, said, oh, yeah, 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 we're in. It's in our best interest politically. It's in our best interest financially for us to do this. So the two of them together, though they opposed each other, the two of them together came and tried to trick Jesus. So if Jesus sides with the Pharisees, then the Herodians are going to the Roman authorities and they're going to say, listen, Jesus does not pay his taxes. He's doing everything he can to avoid the taxes. And if that was the case, then he would have been seen as some promoter of a seditious view and he would be guilty of treason. So they would come and arrest him and they could execute him for being an insurrectionist. On the other hand, if he sides with the Herodians, then the Pharisees are going to go to all the Jews and they're going to announce to all the Jews, Jesus is a lover of Rome. He violates the law of Moses. And if that happened, then they would give a death blow to his claims to be the Messiah sent from God. All of his teaching, all of his leadership, all of his influence would be over. Now, while Jesus is processing that, and maybe you are processing that, Let me talk for just a moment about this tax. 
This tax is called a poll tax. Now, it was not the most costly tax levied upon the Jews, but it was the most resented tax levied on the Jews. And here's the reason. Because they had to pay it, they felt like that they had no control of their, over their own land, no control over their own courts, no control over their own futures. And so it became a volatile subject. So these guys are convinced that either way, Jesus processes this. However he lands, however he answers the question, they trap him. They corner him. He loses, they win. I mean, after all, they spent hours, maybe even days, putting this scheme together. And the flattery they heap on him in verse 16 to set up this question, one huge lie. One huge lie. And you know what's really despicable here, even hypocritical here in this scheme? These guys employed the truth, which they didn't believe. They employed the truth to achieve their wicked purpose. Everything they said about Jesus was true, but they didn't believe a word of it. They were convinced that if they stroked his ego, he'd be ready to show off his wisdom. He'd be ready to blurt out an unguarded, somewhat arrogant answer that would bring about a death warrant. They were convinced it would happen. Let me repeat something I said earlier. They didn't know who they were dealing with. And if you've ever tried to play a game like this, like I've tried to play a game like this, we don't know who we're dealing with either. Because whatever it is that we're doing, just like the people in the story, Jesus sees through it all. He was able to see through what they were doing. He was able to see through every thought. If we're doing it, he sees through everything we're trying to do. Right through the smoke screen, he understands what's happening. And so with just two words, he exposed them for who they were, and he exposes them for what they were doing. You'll see it in verse 18. Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Can I give you a big piece of information here? God even knows our motives. Every time, he knows our motives. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we're going to think before we think it. Every time we try to do some deal, every time we try to barter with him, every time we try to rope him into some favor for us, he knows what we're up to. There are no secrets with God. Every time we try to rope him into our mistakes, into our bad choices, hoping that he will keep us away from all the bad consequences, he knows what we're up to. He knows what we're doing before we do it. So we need to remember, on our journey of faith, 
we're dealing with a sovereign God. Even if you're not on this journey of faith, please know there is a sovereign God at work. And nothing, absolutely nothing, slips by him. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 139, verse 7, King David, the greatest king that has ever ruled Israel, still to this day they think that. He said, and I quote, God, I can never escape you. I can never get away from your presence. The point of that is, God not only knows where you are and where you sit, God knows what you think before you think it. God knows what you're planning before you plan it. He knows what you want the outcome to be before you try to get it. He knows everything. And we cannot manipulate him. That's exactly why he says to these guys, you hypocrites, why do you try to trap me? He exposes their deed clearly. Now, look at how he goes about this. Not only does he understand it all, but he, he, he brings it to the forefront. It's in verse 19. Show me the coin used for this tax. Now, you may not see it, but this is a brilliant move on his part. Brilliant. And here's why. If these guys, in particular the Pharisees, but if these guys have one of these coins in their pocket, they're guilty of the very thing they're trying to lay on him. If they've got one of these coins in their possession, it indicates that they had bought into the Roman economy. They were already using the coin. If they had one, they're already using those coins to buy food and pay taxes and make the house payment and send the kids to school and pay the utilities. All of that condones the practice to have those coins in their possession indicated they already acknowledged Roman rule over Israel. And in reality, they were practicing it. So then Jesus takes another step. He asks a question any child could answer. Here's the question. Whose picture is on this coin? Now, it wasn't Lincoln or Benjamin or Washington. It was Caesar. Caesar. So in verse 21, he says, note this, give to Caesar what belongs to him. But everything that belongs to God must be given to God. And when he said that, folks, he shocked the socks right off of them. I don't even know if they were wearing any, but if they were, he shocks the socks right off of him. Because the word he uses, the word give, he used it in verse 21, implies obligation and responsibility to something that's not optional. These guys who are approaching Jesus did not consider paying the Roman tax a duty. How do we know that? Because the word that they use for pay or give back in verse 17 indicates that they were reluctant to pay the tax. They were looking for ways around it. It was just a scheme to them. So Jesus comes along and he declares that the payment of taxes is not only legal, 
there's a moral obligation to believers. Therein, he knocks the socks right off of them. It's an amazing story. So here's how this story ends. In some ways, it's really anticlimactic, the ending, okay? But it is revealing. It's in verse 22. His reply amazed them, and they went away. It's like they didn't have anything else to say, and so they turned tail and walked away. I happen to think they walked away saying to themselves, what the heck just happened? The Pharisees told us that if we took this plan and we implemented this plan, if we implemented implemented this scheme, it could not fail. But it failed. What the heck happened? So I think, conjecture on my part, I think they were embarrassed. I think they were humiliated. I think they were put in their place. I think they walked away shaking their heads, absolutely speechless, because Jesus set the record straight. So the whole point here, if you get the impact of the story, is that if you're engaging this life that you're living, a journey of faith that you're engaging, even if you're not engaging it, please know, please know, there's an awesome God at work. If you're, if you're engaging life with him, hopefully you already know that. But you need to know, if you don't know, God is more powerful than anything. He's more powerful than the sum of everything. A God who knows everything, a God who is aware of everything, including every thought we have before we have it. I can't fathom that, but that's the truth of it. Furthermore, he is not a God who is limited to time and space. God is everywhere present, which means you can't pretend with him, and neither can I. We cannot strike a deal with him. We cannot barter with him. We cannot fake anything with him. So if you want to get on this journey of faith with him, please know, please know, you're encountering a God who knows everything. He knows everything about your life before you did it. He knows it. Before you ever do it again, he knows it. But he's a great God of grace. And he works with all of that. And if you'll walk with him, he'll set the record straight in your life. So when you come to him, come with a full attitude of submission. And in that process, he'll honor you. Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had today to deal with this subject. I hope that we have, I hope that we've handled it correctly. I hope we brought clarity and understanding. I hope that we all know today that this journey of faith that we're on, though it might not be all of us in here today, this journey of faith is one with you, one that's transparent. Please help us know we can't hide anything. If we'll just live with you every day in the reality of who we are and what we do, and allow you to take us and shape us 
will become what you want us to be rather than what we want to be. Therein, we'll receive blessing and great direction for our life filled with eternal hope. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.